Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, but Dan, the annuals don't count. Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. This podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. We have over 200 of you now. That's really wonderful. Just have a great community of support for our show. But if you want to join that club and receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com. You'll see a big Patreon button, and you can consider joining where all the episodes of Season 6 are already up several weeks early, including interviews with some of our favorite Spider-Man creators. We're four episodes into Season 6 on the Patreon, so please go check it out. Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 6, Number 27. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. The cover pencils and interior pencils are by Ed McGinnis. Inks by Mark Farmer. Covers by Marcio Menez. And of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on June 14th, 2023. Mark, why don't you hit us up with this post-the-death-of-Kamala-Khan recap of issue 27. Well, Spider-Man and Black Cat are in pursuit of the Shocker and Felicia doesn't like spiders, Spider-Man's tone. She says, have some fun, but Spider-Man is not playing around, so Shocker sets his gauntlet to Sirius and somewhere Heath Ledger's Joker gets a royalty check. Black Cat goes down to Shocker to get all flirty with him, and Spider-Man is still not amused, which leads Shocker to want to kill them both dead. But oops, his gauntlet fell off. Felicia becomes an instant meme by doing the why not both shrug about her mischievous ways. Shocker jumps in the background shouting, you're gonna die. Before he can add another E to that sentence, Spidey punches him out, and that's that. Felicia recaps last issue, you know, the death of Kamala Khan, an amazing Spider-Man supporting cast member whose history on this title spans decades. Also, the city is quiet since the emissary evaporated, and before we can linger too long on that beat, 
Doc Ock's harness appears briefly. That brings us to Oscorp, with Norman Osborn looking forlornly at an image of Peter holding Kamala only for one of his assistants to remind him, nay, remind everyone who doesn't read a B-Book miniseries that Norman is cleared of any wrongdoing in the murder of Ashley Kafka, a.k.a. the Queen Goblin, not the Goblin Queen as I always like to call her. Norman keeps reliving that trauma, though, like he's Robin Williams telling Matt Damon, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, before we flash back to a sleepy Peter who is promising to avow the death of his long-tenured confidant and buddy pal amigo Miss Marvel. Doc Ock's tentacle appears in Peter's bedroom, which is totally normal, before being summoned by Otto Octavius himself, and man oh man, if you thought the character looked cartoony before, you need to see Ed McGinnis' artwork here. Doc Ock starts reciting some poetry, or maybe it's song lyrics I don't recognize. If it's song lyrics, it must be a modern pop song, because if it was anything from 1999 or earlier, I would be all over that like the Gen X nerd that I am. Otto is updating his octo-arms with some nanofluid to create a blockchain of consciousness, and I think that's something that Andrew Yang used to talk about when he was running for <laughs> New York City mayor, I can't be too sure. Flashback over to Oscorp, and Norman is still looking pretty forlorn and googly-eyed about everything, and he says the subtext out loud that he was so busy being upset about Miss Marvel, he forgot, nay, we all forgot, that he killed Queen Goblin in a miniseries that probably about 25,000 people bought. Norman lays it on pretty thick here, but Peter, despite being dour and mad about everything else, believes in him and doesn't think Norman is about to relapse into becoming a goblin at the moment. Foreshadowing much? Right on cue, we find out that the Queen Goblin's dead body naturally was not incinerated and instead is going to be studied for science and well, what do you know? The Queen Goblin is alive and well and killing again. Killing so much, we might want to call her the Goblin Queen. No, she's still the Queen Goblin. Anyway. Flash over to J. Jonah Jameson, who is utterly outraged that he hasn't shown up in a major Spider-Man story in ages, as well as being annoyed by the New York Bulletin running the story of him wearing Doc Ock's harness. That happened, what, a few months ago? Through a few years ago? Who even knows anymore? And just like Eddie Brock in Part 3 of Maximum Carnage, there's a knock on the door, and a very beat-up harness is there waiting for Jonah. And that is episode, or excuse me, issue 27, Dan. Why don't we get into our review? Well, even before we get into the review, I did want to acknowledge, you know, this review is happening the week of the death of John Romita Sr. And I thought it was, you know, weird, like weird, almost cosmically timed that we've got this cover to this issue that is an homage to Amazing Spider-Man 55. And the same week, they also released a facsimile edition of the death of Gwen with his cover on it. And so, like, I found myself both sad by the loss of John Romita Sr., but also walking into a comic shop and seeing, like, two very, you know, John Romita Sr. covers of Amazing Spider-Man, which, like, if you want to talk, like, poetry in some way, you know, his legacy still you know, find its way into weekly comics of Spider-Man. So I, I, I thought that was kind of, 
I don't know if I was touched by it or, or what, but I, I, I was quick to note it. Like that's cool, you know, in, in some way, a very cosmic coincidence, but a, a good one for sure. Yeah. So let, let's talk about our overall thoughts on this book. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. This is a transition issue. Like it's one of those classic. We see all these different puzzle pieces that have been scattered throughout the run and we're checking back in on them and setting some up to be followed up in this arc and others to not be, but maybe just to check in on them. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like glad that we got a lot of the check-ins that we got here. Um, and I think a lot of them seem to be something that is going to be directly addressed in this particular arc. But at the same time as like satisfying as it is to go like, Hey, the stuff that happened before is still impacting this book in the way sequential comics should be, but don't always operate. Um, I don't think I'm really that into a lot of the stories that are being presented here for a variety of reasons we'll talk about, but like, I don't think this is like a bad comic, but it's like, it's, it's having to juggle all these things that are like either set up poorly, have weird characterization. Um, it's just kind of like a smorgasbord of like, uh, fine, you know? This is a pretty unremarkable comic. And, you know, what I will remark on is that I think the storylines and beats and, and, and dangling threads that, they, that it does choose to focus on are kind of like, not not necessarily the stories I don't care about, but kind of like the stuff like Kamala Khan or what Norman Osborn did in Gold Goblin, which I enjoyed as a miniseries, but I, I don't know how popular it was outside of, you know, the highly online niche fans that we are. It, it's like that's that's what it choose to kind of continue of. And, you know, all of the stuff that I think, you know, from a larger mainstream perspective that people want to know about, like what's going on with MJ, what's going on with the kids, what's going on with Paul. It, there, There is nary a moment uh, about any of that. And you're just kind of like, oh, OK. I, I, and, and, you know, I, I don't think that we're not going to see it at all. But like it, it's it, the priorities of this book just are continuing to be all over the map, at least in terms of how this issue presents them. And I think a lot of that, I mean, if I had to speculate comes from the, the bi-monthly shipping schedule, which is like, we're going to check back in on that stuff when we get JRJR available. Right. But because we need to slot in, you know, another artist, you know, and who wants to focus on a different story, we can't get that straight away, you know? And as a result, it kind of makes Peter seem a bit callous towards people he's cared about for a long time, you know, like I, I think it would be only natural that Peter would go like, Hey, MJ, like you lost your family in the last issue. I'm not completely cold hearted about it, but there's no mention of it. Instead, we're focusing on longtime Spider-Man cast member Kamala Khan and how that all fits in. And I think that beat continues to undermine the things I like in this book. I'm very interested in the Norman Osborn of it all. Okay. Yes. The, the queen goblin stuff happened in a B title in a way that they seem to already kind of be like walking back by the end of this issue or giving a redux, you know, or that problem's not solved. We're going to solve it here. It's not super satisfying. I think the events of gold goblin could very well have happened in the pages of amazing Spider-Man. Even that story is tainted by the Kamala Khan of it all because like we should have a story of Norman 
grieving his actions in regards to the Queen Goblin, but instead it's diluted by being like, well, it's both Kamala Khan and this. And it's like, okay. But I did want to start a conversation off with like, I think this book in a weird way sort of addresses your complaint uh, in the last issue, which is you said like this book has no joy in it. Like Spider-Man is like really dark and, and dour. There's no like win or like up. I'm not saying that they like, gave him that in this issue. There's a minor win for him, but it does at least seem to be like on the page being acknowledged. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that. You know, it's funny going into this uh, issue of, of the many complaints uh, about the fact that I don't completely hate and despise this run that I got was that, you know, I guess there was um, some kind of storyline or, or article about that Spider-Man's uh, dourness or, you know, makes him kind of treat a quote-unquote classic Spider-Man villain as a chump. And, you know, I, 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 I guess that was meant to be the shocker here. And I was like, oh, the shocker, famously the one who had a fight with Silvermane's uh, severed head in the superior <laughs> pose of Spider-Man. I mean, that classic Spider-Man villain. Anyway, point being is like, you know, I, I, I actually kind of appreciated the setup of shocker being used here kind of as a punchline in in Spider-Man's like down phase here, because I feel like at least in terms of Peter and Spider-Man, you know, they were, they were kind of wallowing in his feelings, but also kind of being funny about it. And, you know, like, you know, having shocker in the background being like, you must die. Like, like I laugh. I, 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 you know, like it, it just kind of seemed absurd to me and Felicia kind of being like the, what me, what did I do? I mean, like it makes an effort to, I think, kind of pick the spirits of this book up. I, I think to expect Peter to be smiles and happy here is kind of silly, but like, again, the reasoning I question, like I would much rather him be, if he's going to be dour, kind of have him be dour about the MJ stuff and, you know, like where they are there instead of, you know, like making this Kamala Khan thing be like this pivotal moment, despite the fact that it was inserted uh, like a rivet gun or attached like a rivet gun, if you will, uh, to, to, to quote my famous phrase here. I don't think this book was joyless. Uh, by any stretch, but like, you know, it's it, 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 where where it tries to kind of soften the blow. I, I, I question where they're kind of pulling the, the levity from, I guess, if that makes any kind of sense. I actually think like, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to harp on the Kamala Khan thing anymore because I think we like covered it pretty exhaustively last episode. But, you know, I think there's like a really natural way to take Peter back down this road again. You know, it's like, I finally picked myself back up. You know, I went on a vacation with black cat, you know, like our relationship is finally getting off. And then MJ gets reinserted back in my life in a tragic way. And I'm having to rethink about those feelings again, you know, and that would be actually really interesting to then have like Felicia trying to pick a Spider-Man up, you know, and like get him back into the relationship with her, you know, not feeling about the MJ stuff, but instead it's all complicated by the Kamala Khan of it all. And I just don't believe for a second that in, in Peter's reaction to Kamala's death, 
I do think if a kid superhero died on his watch, he would be empathetic about it and it might shut him down for a little bit. But like having him go to sleep with her mask is really bizarre. And I wouldn't even say borderline creepy. It's just flat out weird and creepy. I understand the sentiment there. And like maybe a bunch of the stuff I'm asking for will happen in fallen friend. But like, I could see an like I don't know why this book needs to speed on because I could see a really touching like no one dies type of issue of Spider-Man going to New Jersey and encountering Kamala's family and being you know a figure for them to rely on in in, in their grief you know like like he could I was once that superhero like here's what Kamala's death meant means to me like I will you know, you know, establish a fund for her and make sure uh, that no kid has to die on, you know, in this, or I will stand up against New York's uh, anti vigilante laws, you know, in Kamala's name. There's so many ways you could have taken this, but just to be like, it, it, it's, it's like both nice that it's acknowledged that he would be sad about it, but in the wrong way, it's like it, it moved into like that. She's always been, we've always been at war with Eurasia or whatever you said, last week you know she's not a cast member so like do something with that I, I i just i don't i don't i don't believe this like or or have him reflect on like hey miles is doing the same thing as kamala am i you know watching over this person responsibly like what if miles were to die how would i feel like there's there's so many opportunities for, for reflection and this is just it it just goes to further show like how attached with the rivet gun, you know, the Kamala stuff was, you know, or, or Zeb's disinterest in actually getting into the Kamala stuff. And so therefore I have no interest in reading this on the page or Spider-Man's reaction to it. Look, I'm not in the interest of like trying to rewrite what comic creators have done. I don't fancy myself as a comic creator. That's why I like to be in the position that I am on, you know, this end of the microphone. But with that said, Dan, you just like outlined, you know, three or four very tangible things that, you know, could be done with the storyline that are not being done with the storyline. It's, you know, without belaboring the point, it continues to be forced and inorganic. And this is what we kind of get out of it. What, what What is your takeaway, though, with kind of the black cat relationship of it all because like i found it and you know we really didn't talk about it in the last couple of episodes but like i i thought given what they were building prior to the the dead languages arc that felicia was like notably absent throughout this entire thing and now it's like nope she's back and we're dating again and it's just like you know, talk about rivet guns. It's like, you know, wh- wh- what is this relationship right now? Like, it, it, it is so undefined and just kind of creators, you know, telling, not showing here. Well, I mean, again, not to like rewrite it, but imagine if Kamala's role was swapped with Black Cats, you know, like, and you have the death of Felicia, you know, in, in some way. And and right, right after they had kind of reconciled and it's like Spider-Man had sent, incidentally Mary Jane to another dimension and now his new girlfriend, you know, is dead or whatever. Like, I don't love the fridging element of that, you know, but, you know, at least thematically it, you know, would have 
fit in in some way. You know, that's the thing about the Kamala. And we said it is like it's not thematically interested in in that, which is why you don't get any of the follow up stories that I just outlined. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I, the other problem is like the way that the story was told. It's like out out of order. If it was told in order, the events of dead languages is, is really just like a day, not even. You know, like it's really following up on him just coming back and then pretty resoundly defeating him straight away. And so like Black Cat's absence, if that's the road you went, you know, or way you want to observe it, wouldn't wouldn't feel like a big absence. It only does because we spent six issues away from from that. But I also think it's because I don't really think Wells seems all that interested in the Black Cat relationship you know, beyond the surface level, like she's there to, to pick Peter up out of his depression, but that's not really a particularly deep connection between two characters. MJ and, and Felicia had a, a, a mini series leading up to this storyline. So it, it, like, like a lot of this just doesn't make sense to me, Dan. I mean, that's the bottom line. It's like, like these are, these are storylines that should be, intersecting in some kind of meaningful way that aren't and then storylines that were 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 more I mean like like putting aside the fact that the stuff with the Queen Goblin happened in a B book it's 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 more that you know in terms of the characterization and the growth of Norman Osborn in his current role like we really haven't addressed any of this and now but but it's all like you said earlier it's all being centered around Kamala Khan and 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 so it's just this idea of like picking and choosing when we want to like bring things back up and tie things back up and and bring characters in and bring characters out like nothing nothing seems to be harmonious right now it's all uh to to use another uh markism it's all jazz uh in terms of just kind of you know oh we're gonna we're gonna improv here we're gonna improv there and nothing 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 feels symphonic nothing seems harmonious it kind of is continuing with the frustration in my mind i mean to me it's it's, i i do think there is still some order to it like the 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 death of the queen goblin makes sense narratively like that like norman would kill his sins you know and and that's like a, a furthering of that character it's just that conclusion came like three or four months ago. You right. Know? Well, that's what and I so mean. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like de- dead language to me and its conclusion is the first time that I felt like that harmony has really been massively disrupted because like ideally dead languages would have ended addressing all of these things. And when it didn't, that's where the cart really went off, off the rails. There's uh, uh, this issue of uh, Marvel Voices, which is this kind of uh, anthology initiative that Marvel's been doing to highlight like LGBTQ creators and storylines. And they've been really great. And a lot of them have really touched on Spider-Man's world. There was a Spider-Verse one. But there's one that just came out called Pride, issue number one. And there's a black cat story in it with Gambit. And the whole story is about like how black cat like won't define herself as in a relationship with Peter. And at the end of the story, Gambit asks like, well, like what about this relationship with Peter? And she says like, we are nothing, which like in the context of like what I'm reading in Spider-Man is really bizarre. So like, is there a breakup coming that that issue is already like, it's just all over the place. And it's like reading this as a person who picks up books week to week. I'm like, what even is this? I, I, I can't keep track of it. So 
anyway, I, I, I find that another storyline that I want to get invested in it. But when the characterization is this all over the place, it's really hard to like say that I know enough about it to like say I, I'm I'm invested in where this story is going. You want to want to talk about the slack here, Dan? Let's do it, Mark. Let's get into the slack. Okay, well, hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, what the heck is happening in the Slack this week? All right, Mark, I may be completely sleep-deprived and have derailed the Slack in a, pl- in a way that maybe it will never recover from. So, okay, this is in the non-comics discussion on the Slack. And maybe you could help me here, Mark. My son has this, like, monkey toy, okay? That's like this, like, uh, mechanical monkey toy that sings and makes noises. And um, it has this song it sings about bananas. And it this is like a very jokey monkey, Okay. And um, at one point in the song, the monkey says, uh, he's talking about bananas and he's inviting you to play with him. And he says, uh, grab a bunch, yum, 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 and then laughs. Okay. And I've had this ongoing argument with my wife. Is that a pun? Um, Because he's clearly saying it like in a way that's like wordplay, you know, like grab a bunch, yum, yum, yum. Okay. Like you might say to someone, go grab a bunch, but bunch doesn't mean bunch in the sense of we typically say bunch. It means bunch of bananas. So I I posed this question to the Slack and the Slack devolved into this discussion of like, what, what is a pun? Can it be a pun if the pun is off of the new interpretation of the word? If I were to say to you, Mark, a monkey tells you to grab a bunch of bananas with a laugh, would you say he's making a pun? Is it wordplay? Is he just saying literally, go grab a bunch of bananas? Wow, this is this is taking a deep layer I, I wasn't expecting. Dan, I I I I'm taking it literally, not figuratively here. I mean like I would think he's telling me to grab a bunch of bananas. I, I don't know why is he why is he laughing? What is this monkey? I don't understand any of this. I never had this toy. I'm thankful I never had this toy because I might throw this toy out a window. What else you got? I mean, it's it's an existential question for me. You know, like uh, like at, at what point is language so broken? Like I can't tell whether someone's making a pun or not. And that would just be me and my sleep deprivation from my, uh, my son turning one and starting to crawl. But that is what took over the slack for a brief period of time so anyway if you want to get in on my slow unraveling uh as a person you can come join the slack and and be a part of that conversation i don't know if this is a deterrent or an advertisement but uh my brain is slowly unraveling in the slack you'll find a link in the description to this podcast episode and uh, it'll get you right into the slack and you can talk to us about spider-man and maybe even a little bit about banana puns but that's a whole other thing Mark, let's get back to talking about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 27, and you're probably grateful to be back to talking about this and not banana puns. There's one thing I prefer about over banana puns. It's talking about 
Norman Osborn and his uh, ever-evolving characterization here. You know, we talked about that uh, in the first half of the show, Dan, but, you know, we got a lot of Gold Goblin here, uh, even though uh, Gold Goblin really hasn't been addressed at all since what? Like, that first, like, series uh, or arc with the Hobgoblin? So uh, what was your take on all this? I mean, I I was glad to see that we're following up on the events of that miniseries, which I thought was really good and a really nice kind of companion book to Amazing Spider-Man. You know, in that book, the Queen Goblin was killed, and and my thought was like, how does that work? I mean, there's the Sin Eater of it all, which is like to say, like, how does the magic shotgun work? If Norman kills his sins, does like we had seen them as like these spectral ghost-like apparitions. Do they just go to someone new? You know, like, are they officially dead and never to return? These are the kind of things that keep me up at night, Mark. But but seriously, like when when this is such a big element of the character, you know, like and and the change for him, did this lock it in as permanent? You know, like I felt like that book didn't address it addressed that he did it. It just didn't address what that meant. It just that book kind of just ended. And I don't know if you felt similarly, like I felt like I got to the end of that miniseries and was like, okay, where's the next issue? And this is that. And it seems like I don't love that. It's just like a redo. It's like, she's back, but it's like, at least we're going to get into it. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I, 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 I read that series and was kind of like, okay. I, there was a part of me that was like, wait, it's only a miniseries, even though I figured it was a miniseries because really how much story can you get out of it? But like every, everything about it was just kind of bizarre as much as I generally enjoyed it. It was just like, wait, this is where we're going to end it. I, 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 you know, but even beyond that, I mean, like my my bigger issue is a this is the first we're hearing about it in the main book. And then B, it's like getting further diluted by all the Kamala Khan stuff. So it's it's just, again, it's like, this is a good opportunity. I'm going to go out of my way. And I kind of said this even in one of our ASM reviews a few months ago. I feel like the Peter Norman dynamic and that change of status quo is almost criminally underexplored right now. Um there is a lot to mine from there. And, you know, while I understand that there are some fans that would rather hear about Peter and MJ or Paul or whatever, you know, like we know that they're working together. We know that Norman was kind of a, 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 a salvation for Peter when everyone else turned their back on him in his mind. But like, there's still a lot more I feel we need to kind of explore as readers to kind of fully align with the fact that Peter is teaming up with this person that has caused him all this torment and tragedy. We're just not doing it. And this this storyline kind of furthers that. Like, we have some interesting morsels here that we can be exploring, but we're. it just seems like Zeb is just not really interested in getting into the psychology of it he's just telling us but they're together and they're they're and peter's okay with it and and i want more i want more than that basically and i you know going back to our uh, review of amazing spider-man 24 where you brought up like this issue and the time i thought perhaps we would get to it you know more 
you know, in this issue, it, you know, when we didn't do that in this issue, it feels hollow when Peter says like, you know, maybe we can be friends, you know, and it really like plays it up as an emotional moment. And like, I get it. Like it logically works on the page, but like emotionally, I'm not really there yet. Like I, I'm there when Peter shows up and Norman's like, Oh, you were here to tell me that I'm not responsible. And Peter's like, no, uh, I'm, I'm just here to make sure that you're not the green goblin, you know, like that. I still buy the, like, I am totally trusting you. I mean, I, I believe that Norman is healed, you know, but I, I, I want to, I mean, there's like, like I said, this book seems on fast forward because you could do a whole arc of Peter, like exploring what it feels, you know, like to, unpack all the things that Norman has done to him. And like, we got some of that in issue nine. I thought that great judgment day issue began to unpack that, you know, like the ghost of Gwen haunting Peter and, and judging him in some way. But that's only really the start. I think of something that could be way more satisfying. And that's not to say there aren't interesting things in here. Like I liked the bit where one of Norman's staff members comes and it's like, Hey, like, that's what our company is here for. Like, it's here to clean up after you and him feeling like really troubled by that. You know, like he's seeing stuff he's established in the past still working for him. It's a similar thing to like Iron Man, you know, like Tony Stark realizing that he's building weapons of mass destruction. And now that he's a hero, he has to deal with, you know, what that meant, you know, except this isn't more like a corporate structure. Like if you were to suddenly discover ethics <laughs> as the top, as, as, as you know, as, at the top of a company that has done nothing ethical, you know, what, what does that, what does that mean for you? I, I found that interesting, but again, if this is the only lip service we get to that, it's like a bit disappointing because there's a great story to be told there. Speaking of villains and journeys, do you want to talk a little bit about Doc Ock in this issue? This is the storyline that I think I'm like least interested in, which is unfortunate because I think we're getting a whole arc um, about Dr. Octopus. And it's not to say like, I don't think that the character is written like correctly for where he's at right now. You know, we have an auto that was reverted back to his 1960s self and he's written like his 1960s self, which is this like larger than life cartoon character and Edna Guinness's art reflects that. Although I would, I, th- I actually do think it's more cartoony than even the 1960s version of Dr. Octopus. I just cannot invest in this care. Like this is a broken character for me and maybe we're on the path to healing it because Otto is interested in be- like his memories from superior and maybe we're just playing with him before the box gets put away again in the way that Wells did with venom during dark web. And he got a brief moment to explore old venom again, but I just can't like, we've seen so much development of this character. It feels like such a regression to read this guy, you know, maniacally twiddling his thumbs uh, on the back of two really excellent series delving into a more complicated Dr. Octopus. What are your thoughts? Not to, make us old but you know superior at this point is 10 years old which is you know really a lifetime ago even if it's not a lifetime ago for us dan so you know hypothetically 
many things could have kind of reset and restarted with the character. With with all that said, it's like, you know, I'm reading this comic and I'm kind of getting like, you know, Craven the Hunter during Beyond vibes, which is like, I'm like, do, do we even know really what the status quo is here? Like creators, like, like I, I, I think it, I think that might be a little unfair. I think there's more of a handle on it here than what we had uh, with Craven during Beyond. But like either way, I didn't even like Otto during Beyond. Like that felt like a cartoon version of of the character, even in yeah. Beyond. Well, that's the thing. I mean, and I think the fact that you referring to him as broken, I think, is kind of it in a nutshell. I mean, it's like, okay, I, I, I actually, I really quite enjoyed the second volume of Superior with Christos Gage. But where it ends the character for in terms of future growth and stories is quite problematic. And probably the the best course of action for Marvel at the end of that series was to just kind of pack Otto away and not use him for several years. And maybe they kind of did because, you know, COVID kind of makes time a flat circle right now. But all the same, <laughs> all the same, it still feels too soon to me to be like talking about this character again, like I, 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 and treating him as kind of this traditional villain where he's, you know, talking about the blockchain of consciousness. I mean, like, everything is, it, it checks all the boxes, you know? It's not like you're like, what, who is this guy? Like, it makes sense. But, like, yeah, I just don't, I, I don't know if it's that I don't care or I'm just not ready to care, you know? I think it might be more that I'm not ready to care about this character again. And, and, and this storyline is not making me ready to care again. I just don't recognize him, you know? Like, like, I... I I've gone on such a journey with this guy to just go back to, you know, like, I don't want to compare it to like one more day, but, but like, there is a comparison there. Like it was a, 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 a switch was flipped and now we're back to square one with this character. And like, I like how Wells writes that auto. Like, I don't know if you've read his Spider-Man Dr. Octopus year one comic, but that's a really good take on Otto Octavius, you know, like I think that's a cool uh, comic series that if you haven't read, you should go dig up. It's, you know, Carr Andrews at the peak of his powers too. And any, anyway, like I, I recognize that Wells has a handle on this guy. I think maybe you're right. It's just too soon, but I also just, i deeply reject the whole like living tentacles thing. It's, it's too cute by half to me. Like it, feels like something out of a Marvel Adventures Spider-Man comic, which I say that because it did happen in a Marvel Adventures Spider-Man comic, which is like a kid's comic. Like, again, Spider-Man is for kids, too, but, like, I think canonically even it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, uh, like that's a movie invention, not a Spider-Man comics invention. Like, it was that Otto controlled them with his mind, not that they were, like, anthropomorphic tentacles add on to that the little cutesy auto octobot things i don't know it's all it's all super cute i like ed mcginnis great artist dude but like i don't know that he is the right fit for spider-man i still think that his designs are it's not that they're not weird they're just the edges are all sanded off and i and i can't i just don't accept a lot of this stuff in the pages of this comic 
I, I think that's the, the perfect summation here. It's just that it's too attractive. It's, yeah, I mean, everything <laughs> technically works, but I don't enjoy any of it in the context of a Spider-Man comic, if that makes sense. I mean, like his auto is just ridiculous to me. I mean, like like there there there, there is nothing to use your own verbiage a few minutes ago. There's nothing recognizable about this character, both as a character, but also physically, uh, visually. It, it's like, it's just so, everything is just so absurd and dialed up. And There's no and, intellectualism to this auto, right? Like, like I, I look at him and I'm like, cartoon character, you know, like, whereas I should be afraid of Otto because he is an intellectual giant, you know, and like, he's scary. I was to say, say what you will about the Beyond version of Otto, but at least you kind of had like Bagley going back to like, you know, mid 90s, you know, Otto in a, in a white suit kind of, you know, I, I, what's his name from CSI Miami? Uh, you know, I just want to like drop the shade to be like, yeah, and like the who comes into the <laughs> David Caruso. Thank you. Thank you. Who's, David who, Caruso. Who, who uh, wished me a happy Father's Day today. But that's that's a whole other thing. Wow, I you'll have to tell me offline about that. Um, and, <laughs> uh, the, the the bottom line is like, yeah, there's 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 no like cerebral element to any of this. I mean, going with just talking about McGinnis here, like even the stuff with like Felicia. I mean, like, look, I don't need Felicia to be like cheesecaking every every page that she's on, but like you know, like you know, I don't know, like it, nothing here is it, it, it's all. There's no substance to anything here. Like, like, I, I, it's just okay. Like, we're we're having fun, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's just it, so it, unremarkable. It does, it does have like kind of the lightness and romance of Ramita. Like, there is definitely some Ramita here, but I, I, I have a hard time putting my finger on like, like, maybe it's that the tone doesn't match. You know, like we're not getting Stan Leeisms, you know, to, to match it here, you know, and, and like it's kind of why, like, I, I like Vermita's development over the years and even in the 90s, but like, I don't think that he could, you know, do a contemporary Spider Man book 100%. I mean, like, and he shows up in Happy Birthday in issue 500, brilliant, you know, I, I, I just, I don't know, like, there's something silly about Ed McGinnis's stuff that I like, I loved in web warriors, you know, but like here I just reject, even though I know it's like really freaking attractive artwork, like Mark farmers inks, like he's a great inker. And the, these are some of the smoothest inks I've ever seen. And yet like story, it just doesn't, I don't believe in this world. Do you want to grade it? Yeah, let's give it a grade. I'm going to say C+. I'm going to I'm I'm going to go a little lower than you. I'm going to say C-. minus. I mean like, it, you know, nothing nothing truly ob- objective ob- objectful about it, but, you know, I I don't know. It, this this com- comic just kind of came and went for me. I I want to get into some meteor stuff and I don't know when that's going to come. Probably when JRJR comes back. Yeah, probably, probably. Okay. <laughs> I feel bad ragging on this guy who's very talented, but like I can't help but like admit that I don't connect to Ed McGinnis's work on this book. I just don't. 
It is what it is. I mean, I think we're being fair about it, but yeah, it's not working it, or it doesn't work for us. That's all. I mean, you so, know, I'm sometimes sure you just feel it, even if you can't put the words together about it. Like there's something there that's not connecting. Someone somewhere out there loves this artwork and more power to them. That's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. But in the meantime, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this podcast exists because of listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same week the comics release exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. Thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do. Plus, we wanted to issue a special thank you and welcome our newest patrons, Jay Davies, David Nunez, Sean Carrage, Abraham, Tom Trainer, Thaddeus Smith, Gabriel Pankhurst, Douglas LaRose, Alejandro Esparza, and Amit Sivan. Plus, we wanted to extend a special thanks to Michelle Potter, Jonathan Kreisman, and Warren Alexander for upgrading their membership tiers. We are really suffering now, Dan. But thank you to all <laughs> the people who joined us. Also, to download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like Jam DeMatteis, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and many, many more, subscribe to our Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. This podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of our show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sabu Sema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, until our old, rejected, sentient podcasting microphones team up with our biggest trolls on Twitter to defeat us, what's our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't. The next